Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of Pop Culture Double Date. Tonight we have Gerald, Anager, and Maggie again. Um, so we're all here. It's a full double date. And tonight we're talking about Westworld Season 2, Episode 3. Um, and as usual, this is going to be a full spoilers podcast. Um, so hopefully, you know, you've been warned. But um, really looking forward to the discussion tonight because I thought it was quite a full episode. Um, Gerald was informing me it was over an hour long, apparently. It didn't really feel like that. <laughs> was it over an hour long? It was quite. It was quite yeah, quite it was, a lengthy. It was, yeah. it was seventy-two minutes all up. So it was. It was a jumbo-sized episode. Yeah, I uh, mean, and something that obviously HBO can deliver with its big budgets. Yeah, I mean nowadays TV, it's like a small movie essentially, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was. I, I thought it was like a very dense episode as usual with Westworld. Um, so look, I, I think today we'll start talking. Um, talking about the whole Delos and Man in Black situation, because they're kind of interlinked, and it was really what the main point of the show this week was. I mean, just to refresh everyone's memory, basically it's revealed that part of the plan for the park is that, um, apart from having a theme park, it's a secret research facility so that um, Delos, like the man in black's father-in-law, um, William's father-in-law, can find some sort of immortality, right? He's very sick, and they're basically trying to upload his brain into a host brain and manufactured body. Um, and that's really the main thrust of the episode. And within that whole, like, within that whole plot, I think is very tightly wrapped this idea of the theme of death, right? This idea of true death, consequences, um, yeah, all, all this, like, really rich, Westworldy goodness. Um, so, Anager, do you want to... Wanna, I know that you're chomping at the bit to get oh, started, no. so... <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'll get started. So, obviously, the, the, the um, episode title was The Riddle of the Sphinx, so that riddle, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but it's basically what uh, walks on four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, and three legs in the evening. And you have to answer this riddle correct or the Sphinx will um, bite your head off or something. And the answer is man. And so I think that that really taps into the Delos man in black theme of this episode. I think the what, what it's trying to say is that... Um, the essence of being a man is the aging process. It is the changing process. You develop from baby to vigorous adult and then you age into old person and then you die. And that is at the heart of being not just even human but being a live, real-life thing. Um, and so then when we cut back to Delos and we see the man in black and Delos trying to subvert this or trying to get around this, trying to cheat death, by um, uploading a hu real human consciousness into a host-like um, uh, replica of the original form. And what we see William saying is, you know, we're reaching some kind of cognitive plateau, whatever that means. But what he does say is that it's like your brain is rejecting reality. And I think what that is saying is that, you know, a real-life real, a real life 
real human life is going to reject any kind of reality in which it is made to live forever. Um, so it's kind of, but I loved seeing that scene um, with um, William's father-in-law, with Jim Delos. Um, I loved watching William come in. And the funny thing is you get to watch William age, right? So you see William go from the young William to getting older and older and you know, transforming to almost the man in black. Um, I loved watching their interaction. I just found it found it really curious and still really struggling to understand William. It seems like he was really... At, uh, you know, towards the end where he tells his father-in-law that his daughter committed suicide and oh, his son overdosed. It's almost like he relishes the pain that he is inflicting um, on his father-in-law and then he walks away and he sort of leaves his father-in-law in the eternal purgatory where he doesn't, he doesn't burn him up. He just lets him sort of sit in that insane misery um, for God knows how long. Um, so I thought that was really tense and, and a great scene. Um, yeah, so Gerald, did you want to give your thoughts? Yeah, um, I think what what's what I got out of this is that um, for much of his life, William has modelled himself on his father-in-law. He's donned black, just as Jim Delos largely wears black. I think the last couple of times we've seen Jim Delos, he's always uh, kitted out in black, and he's got a swagger, a swagger that William, in older age, as played by Ed Harris, tries to emulate. And after all that has happened in his life, his wife committing suicide, that is William's wife committing suicide, um, and his daughter becoming, I think, slightly resentful of him, or at least in his view, resentful of him, um, it's almost as if the, the man in black sees uh, the entire charade of dressing in black, having a swagger and being a general corporate nasty as completely pointless and counterproductive and evil. And so when at the end he leaves um, the carbon copy of Jim Delos to suffer without dying or without being terminated, he's really, I think, um, condemning himself. And perhaps what he's really doing um, by um, going to Westworld and hoping for the stakes being real is slowly trying to commit suicide by theme park. Um, and really trying to exercise his self-loathing first by condemning his father-in-law on whom he's modelled himself and secondly by really sort of putting himself in a position of vulnerability where he can be he can be killed by any one of these robots at any time so I think there's a and I think that probably feeds into why there's a sort of redemption arc in William about halfway through the episode when in Lawrence's hometown Whereas last season he shoot he's the he's the guy who murders everyone in sight. He decides to um, kill Craddock and save Lawrence's wife and and daughter. Mm. Uh, something that he wouldn't otherwise have done because he's he's reached a point where being the evil guy just feels entirely futile and hollow to him, and uh, and he'd rather just let the theme park kill him. But he's going to die fighting. Mm. Mm. So. Uh- yeah, like, I think there are a few points in there. I, I'm not sure I fully agree with some of those points, but I, like, I, I think there, look, I, I think my, my view was probably a variation on, on the theme, right? I, I felt like this episode really kind of fleshed out William's character a little bit more, right? Like, in, in my mind, I kind of, 
I felt like I started understanding more and more why he is kind of so bitter and resentful of the park. Um, and also like his desire for true consequence, right? Because it's basically shown that over time he keeps like, it's basically shown that over time, like he realizes that what Delos is trying to do by becoming immortal is almost like a perversion of nature, right? And it's like Delos's soul or whatever, his mind or whatever it is, sort of rioting against that sort of perversion of nature. And so mm-hmm. I guess I can see that like William having gone through this, he now looks at the host and kind of thinks to himself, actually, you guys are the same, right? You guys are a perversion of nature. You guys don't actually truly understand the consequences of death. And um, like, I think throughout this episode, it's it's trying to sort of bring up this idea that, well, look, I mean, the like the riddle of the Sphinx is basically man, right? But what makes man man is not just that he lives a life, but he has a finite end at the end of it. Mm. And if you don't have that finite end, there's no consequence, right? So, you know, like throughout the entire series, William keeps talking about, there's no consequences here, whatever, right? Who cares? I'll just do whatever. There's no consequence. And you can kind of see through this episode that the reason, like part of the reason he is so obsessed with this idea of no consequence is that he kind of has realized that unless there are those real consequences and unless like you live, like you live a human style life with a defined death point, then a lot of this kind of, becomes meaningless, right? Like, it's mm. kind of like, his, his view is kind of like, death is an important and natural part of life, and you have to truly be able to, like, have fear or an understanding of death in order to, like, I guess, truly appreciate life. Maybe, I mean, maybe that's a little bit of a, um, too, too long. No, it's a- like, there's no joy without sadness, there's no life without death. Yeah, yeah. And this is why I think, I thought that the scene where he rescues Lawrence's family, um, it is a little bit out of character, but in some ways it's also powerful because in his mind, he's trying to teach, I I can't remember the Confederado leader's name, right? But basically... Craddock. Yeah, Craddock. Okay, so this guy, right? He's trying to teach this, basically teach this guy the lesson that you know, you might say that you've come back to life, you might have this sort of religious enlightenment that, well, religious epiphany that, you know, somehow you've been brought back to life and you've lived a thousand lives. But in reality, you've actually never, you've never really died, right? You might say that you've died, but you actually never really died. Now, let me show you what it is like to truly die. So he, he actually obliterates him, right? Because, um, I'm sensing that the only way that the hosts can really experience death is if their brain unit is destroyed. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I I thought that was quite a powerful scene. I thought that was quite a, um, um, a good exploration of William's character when he says, well, you know, I'm death. I've been sitting here all along because he kind of feels that for him, for him, his role in the park is kind of to, like champion true consequence, right? And for him, the only way you can have true consequence is if death is real. The only way for the full cycle of man to play out is if death, there is true death at the at the end. Um, yeah. But why does it matter so much? Why does it matter so much to him? I mean, it, it, described in that way, it sounds like a real sort of 
um, an intellectual obsession, mm. but he's Dick going what? about it. He's going about it at a level that's that's far above intellectual obsession. He's going to enormous lengths in order to prove a point, if, if it's if it's a point that he's trying to prove. Mm. Because and his wife so, died and he suffered for he suffered real death, right? He, his wife died and he he sort of felt the consequence of that, yeah. possibly. But yeah. should we, Max? Should we get your thoughts on Delos Man yeah. in Black? Yeah, look, I was thinking about it more as, I think it's very similar to how um, some of the things you guys were picking up, um, as Delos almost taking that idea of selfish domination over nature to the extreme. So the park was created, you know, like a a pleasure park for um, humans to come in and, and dominate over the hosts completely and have no consequence. And Delos was sort of taking that to extreme by trying to dominate death itself, dominate nature itself. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that it, it took them, you know, over, I don't know how long William had been visiting Delos for, 15, 20 years, that whole time um, failing to actually dominate death. Um, and implied in that is that perhaps there are some rules within life that you that are finite and absolute that you can't actually... Um, unpick or change so I thought that was quite interesting and at the end when um, uh, I can't remember her name now Elsie I think um, Mm. puts Delos out of his misery it's almost like he welcomes it um, that you know at the end he's lived with that insanity for long enough to realize that actually you know what I do actually want to die Um, Mm. maybe I don't want to make a deal with the devil and live forever Mm. Um, and I was thinking as well about um, the flip side of that, of the hosts themselves, and they're actually on that journey of, you know, Arnold actually brought them to life, this idea that, um, you know, the hosts represent birth and life itself, which is almost a reverse of what humanity is. And last, I think it was the last episode of the episode before where Logan, um, you know, was at that party and he speaks to Dolores and he he looks incredibly dejected and... um, uh, he said to her something about how the people in that party don't understand what they've done in terms of um, sealing their own fate. Mm. They've unlocked almost like a Pandora's box. I think I'm paraphrasing here. Mm. Um, and and it's it's kind of like that that they've kind of written they've written their own decline, so to speak, humanity by you know not understanding um, that you know that they've brought this new life you know brought these hosts to life. They've given birth to new life, and rather than celebrating that, um, they've actually chosen to go down another path to to try and subvert death, to try and dominate nature, and actually that's the cause of their own undoing. Mm. Mm. But thematically, I actually think Mags um, brings on a really interesting point because, um, I guess, plot-wise, it's kind of weird that for example, that they can get hosts to work, right? Hosts don't seem to malfunction. Like, when you give birth to a host, they kind of operate, right? It seems like they Mm. operate. But you can't, like, put a human's mind into a machine, well, like, an organic machine, I guess, and still have it work. And I, I thought that was quite poetic, because basically what it's saying is that you can give birth to new life, but you can't subvert death, right? New life is okay, and you, you can, like, tinker with the mechanics of new life, and, you, like, you can, like, 
create a new being, right? But you can't, like, create the same being and say, oh, that, that, that being is still alive. So I think a really good example is, of this is the character of Bernard, right? Bernard, mm-hmm. why isn't Bernard malfunctioning like Delos? And the only explanation I can come up with is that Bernard isn't malfunctioning because he's actually not a clone of Arnold. He looks like Arnold mm. physically, but mm. mentally, it's not like they've just uploaded Arnold's brain into him and said, oh, you're Arnold. You were always Arnold, right? Bernard has a similar backstory, but he's not Arnold, right? Which is, in some ways, when Ford creates Bernard, it's new life, right? It's a new soul or whatever it is that you want to call it that's yeah. been birthed into the universe, right? While with Delos, yeah. he's not. He's an, like He's supposed to be a perfect replica of Delos, from the moment that he dies or whatever, like his mind is uploaded. And because of Mm -hmm. that, for whatever reason, his soul or his mind or consciousness or whatever you want to call it, rebels against this idea. I I thought it was like a very interesting conceit. And um, like, I I thought it actually felt quite like felt, it felt right, right within the sort Mm -hmm. of the narrative of this world. Um, Gerald, Anandra, do do you have any thoughts on that? Can Can I ask a question about that? Um, Robert Ford seems to have uploaded his consciousness to various persons within the park, um, to the new El Lazo, to young Robert Ford, to Lawrence's daughter at, at one point later in this episode. Yes. None of those, none of those people or none of those hosts malfunction. Why is that? And, and are we, are we meant to think that Ford himself is in on the act in the sense that he wants a piece of the action of immortality uh, and he's, has uploaded himself to all these various hosts in order to achieve the same, in order to achieve a variation on the immortality that Della seeks, albeit not in his own form. Um, and if that's, if that's right, why is it that he's not, that, that none of the, none of these sort of ersatz Fords are malfunctioning. Maybe we've just seen not enough of them. They they seem only to contain little bits and pieces of his personality, um, but he's definitely there. And it may be ultimately that the the, the contest is between um, William, the Man in Black, uh, Angel of Death, the person who wants to preserve life by recognition of death, and Ford, who um, by uploading himself to all these various hosts is really the one who's who's, who's seeking immortality. Can I have a go at that one? I don't think Ford has uploaded himself into all of these hosts. I think he has programmed them to give various responses to William in various situations. Um, I don't think we've got any reason to believe that he's uploaded his consciousness into various different bodies. Um, yeah, that's what I would say about that. Speaking of Bernard in general, um, Look, why does Bernard work? Because, yeah, as you say, he's just he's just a host that's made to look like Bernard and has probably been programmed to have various aspects, sorry, to look like Arnold and to have various aspects of Arnold in him. Um, I guess I've got a – this might be better served as a general theory, but I don't, I don't think there is an Arnold 
personally. We've never really seen any actual evidence of an Arnold. Um, I mean, I think there's an Arnold robot, but I don't think there's an Arnold person. Mm. Um, so the only, yeah, so I don't think that, because I don't think it's, it's feasible that they've just wiped out the existence of the, the you know, a partner of, of, of Ford. Um, I think it's more likely that Arnold was a, was a robot originally, and then he got himself blown up, probably because Ford programmed all of that to happen, and because he got himself burnt up, there was a revision of him made um, before the park opened. But, yeah, so I, I don't think Ford has uploaded his consciousness. So I think this actually makes quite a good segue into the next point, because... Um, this idea of Ford, um, so I, I probably, on the Ford point, I probably fall more on Anage's interpretation that Ford hasn't fully uploaded himself into these individuals, that he's, it's like more just like little lines that he forces them to say at various points, right? But if you think about it, like one of the lines in this episode is this idea of you only live as long as someone remembers you. Right. And in some ways, Ford is pulling this like Ford will always be remembered because he's basically inserted himself like in a really like, I guess, um, not subtle, like a really overt way into all of his hosts. And more than that, like playing on this idea of God, you know how like there's always this like this notion that, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, I guess in a sort of Judeo-Christian tradition, there's a little bit of the divine in all of us, right? And literally with Ford, there's literally bits of his, like, words coming out of people's mouths, right? So, um, I mean, Ford as this sort of sinister, well, I don't know, like, it's really hard to interpret Ford, like, whether he's sinister or benevolent. He is, like, as a character like as a sort of um, a, a, a sort of proxy new age God, I think he's, he's just done so well because he's so enigmatic and like inscrutable that you're constantly trying to figure out whether he's like good, whether he's bad, whether he's actually God or the devil. It's, it's beautifully done. So Ford is Jacob. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I Anajo, do you want to... Uh, Mags, I think that's Mags. Oh, Mags? Oh. oh, I was just going to um, ask as well. I mean, and is Ford really dead? I mean, has he actually kind of screwed himself away somewhere else in the form of a host that he's actually managed to fully um, create his own consciousness? And is Ford actually in control of Arnold, uh, Bernard? Um, you know, like last episode we saw Clementine leading... Bernard to the cave where Elsie was and leaving the gun there. Mm. Um, why did she do that? Um, and why was Bernard taken there specifically as well? So to me, it all kind of implies that this is all part of Ford's broader game that he's Definitely. set, the man in black. So, Definitely. you know, he's he's still in control in some way. So, so Mags, that, that's interesting because you said that you feel like Clementine is being controlled by Ford. So if that's the case, are, are we kind of thinking that all of the zombie... Because you know how, Gerald, last episode you mentioned that you felt like some of the characters had kind of become zombies? And Mags mentioned yep. this as well this week when she was watching episode three, that they felt zombie-like. The makeup looks kind of sallow and, you know, like deadish, and the way they act is quite, like, robotic, I guess. Um, 
do we think that all of the zombies are actually directly under Ford's control? More so well, than if, the other. Yeah. Well, if not, if not all of them, then I mean, even Bernard says at one point during this episode that Clementine, that Ford through Clementine, must have brought him to this cave for a reason. So yeah. he certainly thinks that um, that that. Ford is acting through Clementine, so she doesn't just look like a zombie, she's an instrument of Ford's will. So, so Daz, um, to me, I don't feel a conflict between is Ford good, is he bad? For me, Ford is the devil. Like, he is <laughs> borrowing way, <laughs> way underground doing things. So, he has he killed Teresa. He killed her. He had Bernard have set well he had Bernard her lover kill her um, he and another there's another scene that always sticks in my mind about, and informs me about Ford and there was a scene where Felix was putting um, a coat over a naked host and Ford comes along and he's really irritated and he says you know why have you done this do you think that this this thing has modesty it doesn't and he um, he sort of he slices open the the, um, the the host's face just to show him to me like that that's Ford like he doesn't value any Anything other than himself and what he's doing is playing God and he can and I think they are all all the hosts are under his control the only host that isn't is um, I think Maeve mm, interesting. I think Doris under his control yeah well I mean because like if you think about it even if he is not directly manipulating Dolores, which he may be right because the Y programming mm-hmm. is his direct hand mm-hmm. but if all mm-hmm. of like Dolores is surrounded by a zombie army now, essentially, right? Like okay. he's got she's got Angela, Clementine, and all the other like hosts that have their face covered. If mm-hmm. what we're thinking is that Ford is like directly controlling that zombie army, essentially he is shepherding all of the major pieces around the board, right? Because he's mm-hmm. the one who's shepherding the man in black. Because El Lazo, you know, like as Gerald was saying, El Lazo and his daughter are kind of directly, like, Lazo's daughter specifically speaks with Ford's voice, right? And then you have Dolores being surrounded by an army that is basically Ford's army that he's given her, right? So you've got all these, like, various pieces, Man in Black, Dolores, that are just basically just being shepherded into a path, into a final confrontation, right? So in some ways, like, he, like, even if he's not directly controlling them, as in, like, tapping into their consciousness with an iPad and, like, pressing buttons. He is controlling the pieces regardless, right? So, yeah, it's it's interesting that you, you say that, like, you think that, yeah, because in many ways he is kind of controlling the entire board right now. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a basic question as well? I've completely forgotten why um, Ford... And maybe Arnold, if he really existed or not, asked mm. for funding from Delos in the first place. What they were was the running main out of money. reason? But was it because, did was there any explanation of why they were doing this research or creating these beings in the first place? Did we ever get a, a explanation for? Yeah, Ford says all he wanted to do was tell his stories. So I think he just wanted to play God, you know, by telling these stories and creating these beings and getting them to do whatever he wanted to do. Um, that's that's all he says. He says all I wanted to do was tell my stories. Hmm. But there there is there is an idea of Westworld even at that point though when they were still called the Argos Initiative because um, 
uh, Arnold has relocated to China, and we think Westworld is located somewhere off the, the, the coast of China in the Pacific Ocean. So there's that. And at, at the very end of uh, the presentation or the pitch to Logan Delos, Angela says, welcome to Westworld. So the idea for Westworld is already there. It's not as if they came up with the idea of the robots independently of the idea of Westworld, I think. It's all there. Hmm. Um, and so the question is, you know, sort of, well, why? why? Why create this? Why have the idea for this theme park populated by these robots? Um, and we don't know the answer to that question. Presumably they were burning through cash the way Tesla is right now, and so they, <laughs> they needed Dallas's money. Yeah. This is you know, commercial arm. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you know what's interesting about that? So this is a, like a cool little nugget. You know Tallulah Riley, the lady who plays yes. Angela? Yeah, we know. She's like, <laughs> I love that, right? I love how she's at the startup pitch and it's like, she probably has experience with this, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, but look, I mean, to this, uh, I, I think also something, I mean, I think it's testament to how interesting this this show is that, you know, we are discussing whether Arnold actually exists or not, because specifically in this episode, there's the scene where Jim Delos talks about how God and God, like, you think that there's God on high and the devil from below, and then he says, there's only one, one, and there's just a reflection, and... Bernard is directly looking at him, right? So, and yeah. and so you have this weird moment where you're kind of like, okay, well, if Bernard is kind of supposed to be a facsimile of Arnold, like, what is it actually saying? Was did Arnold and Ford actually both exist, or are they actually one and the same? Right? Like, it's that that's a that's a really sort of interesting interesting play there. Um, I think that, like, for me, I I loved that theme of this episode of, like, the God, like, God and the devil, right? Good good versus Mm -hmm. evil, right? And I I think Mm -hmm. also the way how you responded that, you know, um, Ford is the devil, right? It's, (laughs) yeah, I I love how, like, it's, like, depending on like, how you view the show, that sort of idea that God and the devil are one... Like it, it actually really resonates. It, it, it really, really kind of works. Yeah. Um. So, I kind of wanted to touch on the symbolism of Bernard. I, I was discussing this with Mags immediately after I I watched it, and um, it's kind of like so. You know, last week we were talking about this idea of religion, sort of. The, the, like this show is kind of like a remix of religious motifs right so if you mm-hmm. if you think about the religious motifs we we have a situation where um you have ford who is god and arnold is kind of like a jesus style character because he resurrects through bernard right mm. but then then you have this idea of how like um god and Jesus are one, and then... So, I'm not entirely sure where I'm going with this, but I just love the religious motifs <laughs> of that, mm. right? And I, I guess, I mean, it's, it's kind of linked to this idea of, well, do we actually think that Bernard is fully under Ford's control or not, right? Because, you know, the religious... If you follow the religious motif, 
strictly speaking, like Jesus and God are kind of inseparable, right? So does that also mean that, like, if you follow that motif to the end, does it actually mean that Bernard and Ford are inseparable in the sense that he is being actually controlled by Ford? And there are numerous moments in this episode where you're kind of, I think, made to think that he may very well be, right? Because of how passive his expression is, right? Like, you know, when he's, like, viewing his memories, he's just got this sort of blank stare on his face and you can't tell if it's trauma or whether it's just like he he has no react like i don't know how did you guys read those scenes well it's kind of he he had the same expression on his face when he killed teresa mm. um and I, I i suppose we're we're meant to suspect that uh he was under ford's control when he um massacred everyone in the lab um why he did that, we still don't know. I'm sure, sure we'll find out soon enough. But um, certainly, I think it's fair to say that uh, if, in a sense, Bernard has, has has been set up as having a dual personality because, you know, the Bernard we know most of the time is quite a benign figure. But then he does. But then when he when Ford takes complete control, he does terrible things, and that kind of reinforces the notion, I think, that that Ford is. Ford is the devil, hmm. um, and he's certainly sitting over Bernard's left shoulder, um, appealing to all his worst instincts and and um, using him as an instrument to do the absolutely worst things. I mean that massacre scene was horrific, hmm. and um, and Jeffrey Wright you know played it chillingly. Hmm. But I think what 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 we're meant to take away from that is that that um, yeah Ford is the Ford is that force which brings out the worst in every single one of these hosts, and particularly someone as seemingly benign as as as, ben, as Bernard. Mm, mm, mm. Cool, interesting. So, um, but when has Bernard ever done anything that appears to be of his own free will? He's got everything he's ever done has been an obvious like instruction from Ford. So not a big leap at all, I think, to say that he's just a creature of Ford. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, see... Literally, when has he done no, one this... thing that was his own thing? <laughs> that's... <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point, because Bernard is meant to be played... The way he plays the audience is that he's quite a sympathetic character, right? You kind of see a lot of the scenes through his eyes. Um, yeah. But you're right. Like, if you actually think about what he's done as Bernard, well, I mean, okay. So the one thing would be, why is Elsie still alive then? Because why? Ford wanted her to be. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why. That's why Zombie Lady brought Bernard to the cave to find Elsie, mm. so that Elsie could take Bernard back to the thing. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. Or what? Or I don't know what reason, but I, it, it just seemed like it was all set up by Ford. You know, Bernard was meant to find Elsie in the cave because Zombie Lady took him there. And it's not like Zombie Lady did that on, on her own volition. Like, she was clearly controlled by Ford, which means that Ford must have wanted Elsie alive with the protein bars. Have you guys had, like, a just a full protein? Like, I cannot imagine how disgusting <laughs> that scene actually is actually is, right? Where you just got a bucket and protein bars. That's disgusting. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So, no, 
that that scene this is a bit of an aside though that scene um also made me question as well how many like how long has this been going on for now like that the point from when elsie was you know taken or kidnapped and then when um william um went in for the last time to see delos and then um, bernard going in and then committing that massacre then um ford notionally killing himself through dolores how long how many what's the time period do you reckon that's not like a matter of days and don't forget the, the, the bodies are showing no signs of decomposition so um we, i think we are talking about days rather than weeks or months but you still have to pee and poo in like (laughs) what is going on like she's so clean (laughs) we've gone from the high highs to the very low lows guys (laughs) Uh, okay so um okay so there's two more things i kind of want to cover before we close out tonight um i kind of want to um if we've got sort of little cool nuggets that we picked up throughout the show that we wanted to talk about. Um, so Gerald picked something up. Gerald, Gerald, Gerald go, who go, did go, you recognise, Gerald? Whose face what? did you recognise? Oh, I've totally forgotten. Gerald, unlock it. No, no, no. The, 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 ghost, the Ghost Nation leader is, is, um, is the robot that accompanies Angela to the first pitch with Logan. Yeah, that but, was, but you've seen him multiple yeah. times. Sorry. <laughs> Gerald, what are you talking about? Anager is, is uniquely bad with faces. Oh. <laughs> He's the she guy. Wants, she wants to introduce herself to a friend of mine three times, saying, it's, it's, it's nice to see It's nice to meet you. And I, I think, I think Anager might need to take herself in for servicing, because... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe right. a cognitive no, no, lock. No, no. <laughs> um, okay. So I, I love the fact that the opening scene has Chinese built people building a railroad literally on the backs oh. of other people, right? Because, you know, they go, oh, this, this railroad was built on the backs of, like, all, like workers, right? And then yeah. literally, the hosts are literally interpreting this and building the railroad on the backs of people. It's like, I, yeah. I thought that was really cool. Um, and I think I think it was. The what do you white, think is going uh, on there? Are they? Are they building guests? The rail- no, I think that just white hosts that oppressed them, right? Isn't that? Uh, like, I, I think they've just malfunctioned. I, I think they're just like it's just weird malfunctioning shit. Were, were they mm-hmm. guests? I, I don't think they were all guests. No, they were definitely hosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think some of them were hosts. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that I loved was. Um, Again, this idea that like the host malfunctions when when the host malfunction that it sort of plays out as a organic disease. So like you know how Bernard has the cognitive lock, and then it's like he's got sort of epilepsy essentially, mm. right? Like I, mm. I I really love how they he keep yeah. yeah how they keep playing out that theme of organic versus inorganic. Are they really that different? And then they yeah. kind of subvert the like it's kind of like oh are they really that different and then it's like actually in some ways they really are like massively different <laughs> right so um, I yeah. thought that was like a really cool um, subversion so one so we should have a chat also about you know when the elevator goes down to 
the Delos site, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so firstly, um, the symbol on that Delos elevator is the same symbol that you see yeah. in the Man in Black's daughter's. Yeah. What are we calling her? What's her name? Her name is Emily. 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 <laughs> okay, Emily. I kept calling her Grace. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, it's in Emily's notebook, right? But interestingly, on the panel, it says twelve. So I guess there are a bunch of sites all over Westworld just dedicated to human mind upload research. Mm. So, and yet they say that um, there's only ever been one other occasion where um, a consciousness has been uploaded into one of those light bulbs, mm. right? Didn't they say that? That it's been, happened one other time? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's happened at least one other time, but there are other... Or are they, or are they like 12 sites. other Delosses running around? Mm. I mean, that's possible, right? Like, I mean... Mm. Technically, if you've converted a mind into ones and zeros, you could make copies of that mind, like, simultaneously, right? Like, it's not like you have to wait for one to die. for sure. Yeah. And there were 12 apostles. It's all coming together. Exactly, exactly, exactly. (laughs) The religious themes, everything. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) nice. Nice. Um, Yeah, so those were my, like, cool little tidbits that I I thought were, like, interesting... um, Anybody have anything else? I was a bit confused about the scene where you flash back to the man in black's wife and she's dead. I was—I don't know if this is just that they forgot the story, but he, the story that he tells one of the hosts, I think he tells Teddy, is that his wife um, took the wrong, like she took sleep meds, she took too many sleep meds, or she took the wrong medication and she sort of fell asleep in the bath. But you see like a bathtub that's full of blood and you see her wrists kind of lying out, kind of implying that she cut her wrists and that's mm. And it was an obvious suicide. So I'm not sure. I'm just confused. I find the man in black so confusing. Like, I don't understand him yet. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure. Did he, did he lie about that to Teddy? Why would you lie to a host? That doesn't make any sense. Did the showrunners just forget that the man in black said that? I, I just don't know what's going on there. Maybe, I think maybe maybe he was in denial. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd probably agree with that. Uh, like, okay, so my – so let's let's get into theories and – Emily yes, and the man in black and everything. So my my sense was that, um, look, uh, I, I kind of feel like the I, I'm probably more pro the man in black's character than Anager. Like not mm-hmm. as a good guy, but more that I feel like there is motivation there. Um, my sense is that part of the reason he hates the park so much is that potentially the park took so much of his time and efforts and basically it like, even though it wasn't like, as in like my sense is that his wife committed suicide because of what was going on in the park, right? Because he was spending all his time in the park. His wife maybe found out that he had actually fallen in love with Dolores and she just couldn't live with herself. And he kind of hates himself because he got suckered into this. And as a result, people close to him died, right? Um, I don't know if that's kind of, like, too simplistic, but, like, I'm kind of trying to figure out why it would be that he has such a mad-on against Dolores and also why he is so obsessed with authenticity and 
things being real. And, like, when I think about that, like, the logical conclusion is kind of, well, if someone has died as a direct result of the sort of, like, the inauthenticity of the park, invariably that would drive you to be quite disdainful of its inhabitants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's kind of like that's kind of my view of the scene with the water and the 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 bath. A, a really well f- filmed scene, by the way. Like I, I thought it was yeah. like really cool. But um, yeah. Yeah. Um, anybody else have any other theories about Grace and the Man in Black? Well, what do you think? What do you so think is Grace, glory? Emily. It's the weapon, right? It is a weapon, but like, you know, it's a place, it's a weapon. Uh, could it be robot heaven, like at the end of Transformers 2? <laughs> Gerald. <laughs> what? I can't even remember what happened in here. What? Explain what to an me. Shia LaBeouf's character ostensibly dies, and he goes up to robot heaven. And these three robots, uh, sort of send him back down to Earth and uh, he manages to, to defeat Megatron. So, Robot Heaven. <laughs> okay, that, that was even more confusing than what you said it originally. But, um, okay, I, I... I I don't know. Anager, do you have any theories on this mega weapon at Glory? I think Glory is a false place. It's a false premise. I, I don't know, I, I can't say any more about it than that. I think it's like heaven. It's a false, oh, sorry, in my personal belief would be that it's a false premise. Um, I know the Man in Black says that he created it, which makes it sound like it must be real, but I still don't think, I don't think there is a glory. So wherever they're going, it's not going to be a real, it's, there's something going to be very false about it. Um, I think with, with, the, with the Man in Black, um, it was interesting Sorry, it was interesting what you were saying about, you know, Ford is the devil, um, Man in Black. You sort of saw that with Man in Black too because in his sort of redemption arc where you see him um, saving um, the... the le- I can't remember what those characters' names are. The lady, the wife of um, his Lawrence. mate, Lawrence's Lawrence. wife. Yeah, it's the exact same scene that we saw in um, season one except in that scene it was the man in black who was the um, the villain. Like even to in, in, even in terms of dancing with Lawrence's wife before he kills her in cold blood, he did that. You know, mm. it was the exact same thing, but now it was um, it was uh, it was Craddock who was the protagonist, and now the man in black looks disturbed by that and acts as hero. So to me, that's an example of the devil and the saviour kind of being the same thing. Mm. Um, and to me, ultimately, all of that is is an illusion. I think the only real saviour in the show is going to be Maeve, but she's not going to be a saviour in your sort of traditional religious sort of notion of the word. She's going to create um, something, very, a very new order based on true freedom um, and not based on good versus evil, which are very, very false sort of premises to begin with. Um the final thing is I'm interested in, obviously, Emily um, and Ford's final riddle for um, 
the man in black, which is, you know, it, it, it ends where you began and began where you ended or whatever it was. Um, so it ends where you began. Look, when he began this journey, he was um, a loving, sort of open, generous, good kind of man um, who fell in love with Dolores. Now, I don't think it's going to go back to falling in love with Dolores. I don't think he, I don't think he hates Dolores. I think he doesn't care about Dolores anymore. Like he used her to try to trigger her memory so he can create realness in the park so he can get the hosts to be conscious, but he doesn't care about her. And you can see that because when, um, when someone says, you know, that the bitch named Wyatt uh, double crossed me, he's not angry about that. Mm. He's like, oh, that's good on her. Finally, she's doing something other than just acting as a mere reflection of anyone who looks at her. It's like, well, mm. at least she's doing something. It's, it's, it's. There's nothing real there. Um, so I think that when he, it's got to end with him finding some kind of compassion again, and I think it's going to be related to his daughter. Like his daughter's going to play some role in bringing that out in him. Mm. Yeah, those are my. It's interesting. Oh, Darren, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting that his daughter also shares his aversion to um, hosts. Because, you know, his daughter, the first scene with, with his daughter, with Emily, is him, her being propositioned, right? And she basically mm. has no truck. Like, has, like sh- she has no qualms about shooting a guy. Like, in some ways, that's very Man in Black, right? Like, she has no qualms about shooting the guy to test whether he's real or not. So, it, it can't... She's, she, she... She's actually quite respectful towards Ganju. She doesn't treat him poorly. Yes. It seems like her aversion is to being manipulated by Correct. the storyline. Correct. So he doesn't share his level of cruelty. As in, you, you've seen how, like, you know, in the first season, the man in black is just, like, ending people left and, left and right, right? But Emily shares yeah. this idea that, you know, like, I don't want... She's not into fakery, essentially, right? Don't try to play me. Mm. Like I'm, I'm into authenticity. So they definitely share that, um, share that commonality, right? So yeah, it, it's kind of it'll be interesting to see where this plays and where it goes to. So my theory around Emily and the Man in Black is that um, could it be that we know that there are other experiments going on with human consciousness in the park, like uploading the consciousness into the light bulb brain. Um, what if, like, the one that they've been able to succeed with is Emily and the man in, like, the man in black's wife? Mm. What, what if, like, he's felt so guilty about her death that instead of focusing on his father-in-law, he's ended up focusing on her instead? Because it's implied that he, like, there are, there's a long gap, kind of, between visits with Jim Delos. Um mm. So, I, I, I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts about... Because clearly Emily is after... Is keen to get into one of those um, human consciousness facilities, for lack of... Well, mm-hmm. Let's just call them human consciousness facilities, right? So she's really keen to get into one of those, right? Um, and the man in black is fully aware that they're trying to get the father-in-law back. So, like, I mean, my theory is kind of based around, well, what would motivate her to want to break into one of these vaults, essentially? Um, And she doesn't seem concerned about meeting her dad. Like, it's almost like, hey, dad, whatever. (laughs) So, um, yeah, any any thoughts on that? Matt? Hmm. Well, my... It sort of goes back to 
you know when Bernard was um, having those flashbacks and before he ended the lives of all of those scientists in um, Bunker 12, he had that orb printed. Mm. So who did he give it to? What's the orb? It, you know, yeah, that, he was printing yeah. something. It's like that, uh, like a little brown sphere that he had yeah, printed. Yeah, little red sphere. Yeah, they put it in his pocket, and then he instructed the drones to kill everybody, uh, and then to kill themselves. So that's clearly important, and it ended mm. up with somebody. Um, could it have ended up with Ford, or could it have ended up with Emily? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, what, what I is that it. sphere? It, yeah, we don't. We don't. Is it another mind egg? Is that what it is? I don't. Mm. It could be. Mm. Um, Look, I thought Emily was try was looking for her grandfather. That's what I thought she was doing. But now that you mention it, yeah, maybe he's tried to do the same thing with his wife. Maybe he created something absolutely horrendous in the process, and that's why he's all about death now. Mm. And Emily's trying to find her. I think that's a really sort of really interesting idea. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But also, I sorry, I was also thinking as well. Um, Oh, what's that lady again? She's one of the board members. She's real badass. Charlotte. Oh, Charlotte. Charlotte. Charlotte, yeah. Valkyrie. You know how she's saying? Yeah, the Valkyrie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She's been trying to get, um, uh, oh, God, what's his name again? Abernathy. Abernathy, that's it, out of the park and the data in him out of the park. Who Who is she doing it for? Who is the board that she's doing it for? I know. Is, it, is she do, is she actually doing it for Emily? Does Emily actually own? Yeah. Delos Corporation. Yeah. Who, who's running Delos right now? Because clearly, maybe they, so she could maybe have come in because. Go on, go on, Max. I, I was just going to say maybe she came in because you know, job well done is a job you do yourself. Hmm. Yeah, the problem is she, in season one, she asked for William's permission to sack Ford. So uh, William still ra- outranks her in the food chain. Um, outranks Emily? The, yeah, yeah. Out, outranks Charlotte. Um, yeah. And most of the board we, is now dead. Are, are they, though? That. Was the board at the, at the, at the, the, the gunfight? Yeah. The... yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't know that they didn't succeed with Jim, Jim Delos. Just because that version is rotting in that, rotted in that, in that little hub, we don't know that one of their other hubs didn't succeed and that it's not Jim Delos who's running everything. Yeah, in fact, and we don't know mm. that, we don't know that all the same, all the Delos scenes in this episode took place in the same hub, took place, all, all took place in Bunker 12. There mm. could be, they could have taken place in other bunkers because in the first two scenes, well, I mean, in the first two, because we, we, I suppose it's because it's, it's earlier in time, there's, the, there's an African-American woman who's minding the, the hub and then it's the young Asian bloke. Um, but, yeah, it's, not, it's, not, um, it's by no means obvious that it's the same hub. So there could be, uh, yeah, there could be this sort of zombie army of Jim Dallas's lurking around the traps. Because, mm. I mean, wh- okay, so here's Tinfoil Hatland, right? So, <laughs> as you guys were talking about this, I'm thinking to myself, what if what the plan is, Ford's plan, is basically, I'll plan this massacre where the entire board gets killed. And then, when the team team comes in, 
like in Abernathy, I'll basically store the data of the board, and I'll just create a, a new whole, board, that, a I new board that I can directly control. <laughs> Love like, it. I mean, it seems quite like petty, right? But I mean, <laughs> so then it's Ford. Maybe it's Ford who is giving the instruction. Oh, that sounds unlikely. <laughs> well, I mean, but I mean, like, is is it really that unlikely that if Ford has perfected this idea of like replicating dudes, right? So Jim Delos is his failed experiment. He's finally perfected it. Wouldn't he be like, fine, I'll just upload myself into another better body and mm. I'll just take control of this because I've always hated the idea of Delos running my my theme park. Maybe. Yeah, and I'm going to use... um, I'm going to put Dolores and the Man in Black on a collision course with each other so they're going to eradicate each other. And but I'll it's got to be the money. Whoever is controlling it is is has the money, right? And mm. that was never Ford. Mm. So, because otherwise he wouldn't have control. This person would not have control over Charlotte, and mm. you know, like mm. yeah, yeah. And who sent who who sent Carl Strand? Who is Carl Strand? Who's Carl, Carl Strand? Strand? He's the big tall bald guy who finds uh, oh, who, who talks yes. to Bernard on the beach in the first episode. Oh, Floki. The, the boss man. Floki from the Vikings. Dark the Vikings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Dark Green of Vikings. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you know his name was Carl Strand? Because <laughs> <laughs> he introduced himself as Carl Strand. <laughs> did he? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I was just like, that's Floki. Why is Floki on? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, um, yeah, there's a, there's a, um, any, anyone else with any other interesting theories to float? That's me uh, for now. No, no theories, yeah. perhaps just, perhaps just an observation that, um, because there's so much theorizing going on, on the internet and elsewhere, um, it, it kind of meant that some of the, some of the surprises in this episode were not surprises at all, so the idea that Delos was being remade in robot form, not a surprise courtesy of theorising on Reddit and elsewhere. The idea of Grace being Emily, again, not surprised. And I just wonder whether um, that makes the experience of watching the show just a bit more frustrating than it otherwise would be because, um, uh, you, you you know, all, all the all the reveals are no longer reveals and you sort of sit there going, oh, well, that's a bit, that's a bit of a fizzer. I mean, do you guys find that or are you just, or are you thrilled at one, at each one of these revelations? I'm, I'm trying not to read the forums beforehand. It's just really, really hard to do. (laughs) So I don't read Um, any, anything on the internet, but I will, I listen to all the podcasts because I love just having like podcasts (laughs) in my ears, even if I'm not really listening. Look, I think it definitely takes away from the, the, from watching the episode and from enjoyment of the episode. But I think it adds to your enjoyment of Westworld. 24-7 outside. <laughs> You're on the cable news cycle, Anna. <laughs> Listen to our episode. <laughs> so who are we, MSNBC or Fox? <laughs> um, Mate, we're, we're, BBC, we, we're BBC World. No one watches us. <laughs> oh, PBS. <laughs> PBS. We got the production values of PBS. <laughs> Oh. Um, okay, can I can I just I I rec I I'm happy with this season so far. Um, I'm not on Reddit as much as I was previously, but part of the reason why I think I'm happy is because I feel like they introduce threads and they close them off fast, right? Because 
this Delos thing, they could have really, like, sort of hidden the reveal and stretched it on. But it's kind of like, introduced last episode, and then the next episode, they've just fully resolved it and just gone on yeah. with other stuff. So I love the fact yeah. that they're clearly aware that they're theorizing, so they're kind of... I feel like they're adopting a little bit of a no-bullshit approach, which is like, well, okay, I've got this thread, let me resolve it for you, and there's still all this other juicy stuff that's in the background, even if I resolve some major points. Because this episode was like a real, like, it was... It was really... Yeah, it was huge, right? It was like, it was very, like expository in some ways where they just laid it out. It was like, oh, you theorized that Delos was um, being replicated? Hey, he is. Totally. Here's the entire process for you to, like, to review, right? Like, I, I, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, yes, 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 and I suppose a little no as well because, you know, they, they are they are introducing new threads and closing them off quickly, but at the same time, you're asking yourself, why did you have to introduce threads at all? Why couldn't you just introduce... The fact, for instance, the fact that Grace is Emily's is, is, is Emily. Yeah. Why couldn't she be introduced as Emily? Why is it that she introduced, she's introduced as Mystery Woman, and only now we're being told that that she's the man in black's daughter? What actual purpose is served by that? I'm still not entirely clear. I, I just think they just love they just love they just love sort of you know throwing these mysteries up in the air, even if only briefly, just to get just to get the audience a Twitter about all this sort of all this sort of stuff without actually thinking too hard about what narrative functions some of these, um, some of these things serve. Mm. Mm. Very Ford like (laughs) 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 they're trying to manipulate us, (laughs) but look, I mean, for the time being, I I still feel that this episode was a a pretty strong episode, even though it was quite heavy in exposition. And, um, I'm still, like, super pumped about Westworld. Like, yeah. Oh, same. <laughs> love it. Yeah, love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess we'll be back next week for episode yeah, four. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much, everybody, for all your participation. I think this episode has run longer than we initially thought it would. But, <laughs> like, it was a great conversation. So, yeah. Awesome. Cool. All Thanks, right, we'll guys. See you guys next week. Right, Thanks, bye. Everyone. Bye, guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye.